Hi, welcome to the Winners Find a Way show and podcast with your host, Trent M. Clark, three-time World Series coach, CEO of Leadershipity, serial entrepreneur, having started 12 companies, coach to the 1%, and an international speaker. This show is going to be your go-to podcast for facing adversity, being inspired, and overcoming obstacles, all from the best in the world, business, sports, and leadership. Hate the crappy ingredients in many beverages and energy drinks? Rebellious Infusions are the go-to functional beverage. They have five or fewer plant-based organic ingredients. No sugar, no calories, loaded with antioxidants to boost your immune system. And L-thionine for brain health. Rebellious Infusions are available at drinkrebellious.com. Rethink your drink. For 10% off of your next purchase, use the code 99999. Hello, welcome. It's Trent Clark, host of Winner's Find a way show and welcome to our podcast. And I welcome today my friend Ethan Bull. Ethan, how you doing, buddy? I'm good, Trent. Thanks a lot for having me. Man, I'm fired up to have this conversation. Ethan, real quick, Ethan, tell them where they can find you on all the social. So we have our website at proassisting.com and I'm on LinkedIn. We're also on Twitter and Facebook under Pro Assisting, but I am very active on LinkedIn personally. So you can just find me under Ethan Bull. Yeah, very good. And Ethan, great. Really excited about getting into this interview today. For everyone who's on the first time show, I am your host, Trent Clark. I am a serial entrepreneur and international speaker, NIL company for athletes and education around that. And I am a longtime coach in professional baseball coaching in three World Series. See, my hand keeps getting cut off because of my crazy screen here. So excited to have you join us as we interview these one percenters. If you're joining the show for the first time and you are looking to be elite, you are on your way to being the best you can be, you are owning something, you are an elite athlete, you are looking to upgrade your position at work in your career, I think you've come to the right place as we talk to fabulous people who show us how to do things better and how to face adversity and challenge and overcome it. Ethan, no different, man. I mean, author of the 29-hour workday, and, and I laugh at that title every time because I've, I've said I've lobbied you know, the Lord for 30 hour days for a long time and nobody's listening. Right. You know, like, I was like, Hey man, I, if I just had like six hours more in a day, I would get so much done. Right. And so want to get into the title of that and why you chose that. I mean, very cool. You and your wife own pro assisting. You're both longtime executive assistants in New York City, Big Apple, running the heat. I mean, every time I think of that, man, I think of something like Devil Wears Prada. Like, how hard is it? I mean, is it the intensity that people led on in these films of Wall Street and EAs just being under the gun? Is it just like that? Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, walk me through one of the craziest things like you've ever been asked to do that you were just like, I'm, I'm supposed to get this done like today? Are you serious? Like, walk me through something that just felt outrageous. All right. So this is going way back. I started as a production assistant on Studio Pictures in New York City back in 1996. And the movie that we were working on, the film that they shot over a day was in the backseat of the car at night being ready to be delivered to Duart, which is a company that takes the film and makes it so you can watch dailies and processes it and everything. And the film got stolen out of the backseat of the car. And a the person who stole it called the production office and said, hey, I have something you may want. You know, 
bring $5,000 to this address. And the production accountant picked me to hand the $5,000 to that I had to sign my name on a dotted line and then go to the location to try and retrieve the film. And they never showed. So we never got that film back. And on that particular picture, it was equated to be, you know, that day of shooting was probably in the five to $700,000 for the day. Oh. So that's just a weird one-off kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, you You're know, the ransom but, guy. Yeah. I'm the guy they give the money to and say, okay, we hope you're okay, but yeah. go, to, go out and try and try and get this stuff back for us. If we lose you, we don't lose a part in the movie. So we're probably yeah. okay. We can reshoot yeah. that. <laughs> like, exactly. Oh my gosh. And so you have to reshoot the entire day with another additional cost of another five or 700,000 plus the delay plus, plus, plus. I mean, it just keeps plus, adding plus, up. Plus. Yeah. yeah. And you know, insurance covered it. But um, yeah. you still don't want to have to go through that. I mean, is this, the thing? Are, yeah. is this the thing in New York? Like people sitting around watching cabs or, you know, black cars and going, hey, man, if they throw the film in the back, you should grab it. And like, it's worth big money. Well, not anymore because everything's put onto digital. So yeah. you're not running to do art or Technicolor to, to get the film developed anymore. But back in the late 90s, that was it. It's kind of dating me. But, you know. Yeah. It. Well, it's an interesting thing. Obviously, I mean, in my opinion... A little bit of an inside job, right? I mean, someone knows the value of that. They're watching closely. I, I mean, someone's got to be pretty, pretty. I mean, a Midwestern boy like myself isn't walking over to New York going, hey, if I grab this film out of the back of the car and I'd know what studio to call and, and, and. I mean, it's a lot. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. So that's actually a good point. Obviously, well, all of the canisters were labeled. Yeah. So, you know, and at that point, the New York Film Commission would put out a listing of everything shooting every week mm. with phone numbers and, and contact information. information. So, yeah, yeah, there was. I don't know. I don't know. And it's just a weird story. You know, both Stephanie and I have, have quite a few and they come out in the book. Yeah. You know, so yeah. So we got to check out the stories in the 29 hour work day. Now, real quick, I mean, pro assisting, you are fractional executive assistants at a very high level. These are all folks that have worked at the highest levels of executive assistant, Fortune 500 companies, Fortune 1000, production, theater. I mean, all sorts of different, I'm sure, backgrounds on these folks who have been in high pressure, understand what it takes to be in this role and be a massive contributor and almost immediately because the skill sets are very high. Is that fair, Ethan? I think that's very fair. You know, when, when we start with a new client, we always consider the first month to be onboarding, but I tell them you're probably going to start feeling that lift after one week because the onboarding starts, but Behind the scenes, the assistant is reading all the emails, looking at the calendar, doing deep dive research on the company and the industry, and starting to take tasks and projects away from the principal right away. And then slowly over that month, the onboarding time goes down and the work goes up. And then it's kind of a seamless transition when it works well. Well, I have a lot of admiration for you and your wife in this business. I haven't navigated that successfully in the past with my wife as a serial entrepreneur. And now I have a couple different companies. My wife has her own company she started, which I'm super excited about as she's awesome. a Latin tutor online doing Zoom through Latin. And a little plug for my wife there. That's and then, great. yeah, it's really cool. Like, see her kind of really appreciate this entrepreneurial 
journey and enjoy what she was doing. I think when we were in partnership, we owned a trucking company. And so, you know, nothing probably in her wheelhouse that she was loving, right? And so very different. So really cool as a successful husband-wife tandem. I mean, walk us through a little bit about where you found that success together. Well, it's not like we hung up a dartboard and threw a dart at it to figure out what kind of business we were going to start. We actually took, it's kind of a familiar story, you know, someone is an expert or has high level expertise in a service and they are doing that for someone else as kind of a W-2 employee. And then they may see an opportunity to differentiate or shift their business model and, and go out on their own. So that's kind of our story. And given that we both have the high level executive assistance experience, and when we took that lens, if you will, and looked at the virtual assistant landscape and what was available, we did see a pretty significant gap between where a virtual assistant kind of would end and hiring a full-time assistant as a W-2 employee would begin. And that's kind of where we positioned pro assisting because the virtual assistant space didn't align with either mine or my wife's experience, nor our compensation expectation. Yeah, I think that's really good. And it's funny because I find myself in this gap all the time. Love my virtual assistant, fabulous, works out of the Philippines, great woman. She does a lot of great stuff for our company and me. And I've had a full-time assistant before where, yeah, that's been added value too. Very good. I felt like almost too much you know, in a, in a mm -hmm. lot of ways, uh, you know, I had much more to do than just me for that person. And so I think there's such a strong skill set. You know, it's one of those things where sometimes I feel like per people with this level of skill sets, you know, I equate it to my laptop, Ethan, like I'm on the internet, you know, and emailing, you know, and doing a couple spreadsheets and PowerPoints, right. And this thing can do a thousand X of what I'm using it for. But right. this is all I need it for. So if I were to go out and buy the $4,500 mega deca, everything you could ever have on a laptop, I'm like going, I'm using 1% of this thing. <laughs> you know, you know, right. like, so I can get pinched in that going, hey, man, do I have too much assistant? Because I don't know if I have enough for this person. And so I'm in this gap often. And so I really appreciate your business. Now, walk me through, you know, upstate New York guy, kind of born and raised. Were you born and raised in Rochester? Right outside, Canandaigua, okay. New York. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, Bentley University grad. Then you, then you make a little appearance down under at the Royal Melbourne Institute. So talk to me about down under and what posed that like, man, I should get to Australia and go to school. I was at Bentley. My friends, a little older went studied abroad before they were gone it was doug's going down under and we threw and i started a program bentley offered and said hey this sounds fantastic and my parents were very supportive of doing a semester abroad my stepfather in particular he said it'll change your life and he was right and got down there for six months you know bentley provided a teacher that taught us three classes and then i took two classes at rmit around international marketing and you know it really did it really changed my life and really wanted at that point wanted to take music something that I'm very passionate about and kind of meld it with business. So I came back and I started working for Warner Brother Records under their Electra banner during my senior year. And that's where I heard about a production assistant job in New York City. And, you know, right after I graduated, I, I had an opportunity to move to New York City and take that production assistant job. And, and that's kind of what set me on my path. 
So, yeah. yeah. Love it, man. That's, that's so cool. And then I also think like, it's very interesting then, man, you know, people think New York, I think they think of New York city, right? You and yeah. I both know Rochester is a little bit different speed than New oh. York city. Right. So, I mean, upstate New York, I love the old Harry Chapin line about Watertown, right? I spent a week there one afternoon and, and it's slower, man. I mean, it yeah. is, you know, it is a cool little area and I love upstate New York, man. I mean, Lake Placid, come on, man, that's beautiful up there. And uh, so now you go down into Manhattan. I mean, this is, you know, the asphalt jungle. This is just pace, pace, pace. Intensity is high. I love New York. But I got to tell you, man, I'm there for three days and I'm on like stimulus overload, man. I'm like, wow, it's just a lot. And yeah. I love the energy. And at the end of three or four days, I'm like, okay, I got to go. <laughs> so tell me now, how did, was that a tough adjustment for you or you're a young guy just ready to go and like, let's get at it? You know what? It was a tough adjustment. It really took me nine months. I thought about this after living there for a couple of years. It really took nine months before what happens before I got over that hump. And then I liked it more and more and more and more and more. And I think part of it is, you know, understanding where you're going and how to get there. Yeah. And getting used to the pace, just the walking pace on the yeah. sidewalk. Yeah. And knowing that everyone who's going to succeed in New York and, and be able to pay the standard of living, you've got to be an A player yeah. and you've got to strive and you've got to have a work ethic. And a lot of people look at New Yorkers as being really gruff because they have the experience where they're walking down Fifth Avenue at about 5.15 in the afternoon and they, they're just looking up, taking pictures with their camera and New Yorkers are saying, come on, get out of the way. What are you doing? Come on, come on, let's go. Yeah. What are you doing? But if you're walking down the street and you, you flag a New Yorker down and say, hey, hey, I got to get to this restaurant, you know, this Italian restaurant. They said it was here. Do you have any idea where it is? And what they'll do is they'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah it's right down here. You don't want to go there. You want to go <laughs> over to this one and tell Johnny at the bar that I sent you. He'll take good care of you. Yeah, you know, so true. And that's New Yorkers. And, yeah. you know, they'll give you the shirt off their back. They'll give you advice. But if you're slowing them down or you are not providing them information or entertainment or camaraderie, they'll just walk right by. Yeah. Know? Well, I mean, the way you describe that, I mean, listen, alpha dogs unite, right? Like, I mean, it is like, it's bring your A game or don't come. And I really appreciate right. that. Obviously from being in the professional athletic space for so long where, you know, it's all that way. And now in the entrepreneur organization, very similar, right? Like in, right. in EO where you have all these owners who are just always more strive, get better, improve, continuous improvement, be aware of my weak spots, you know, hold up the mirror. Let me see the lens. You know, I think it's one of the things that, you know, I think the outside view of the New Yorker is pretty gruff, right? It, it's pretty tough. But, you know, I got to tell you, man, authenticity is high, right? And it's like, hey, man, this is what you're going to get. Like, no BS. Here it is. I'm laying it out. I'm not trying to be something I'm not. You know, I know it's a tough world, but at the same time, not, you know, not running off the imposter syndrome. And man, that description you just gave me, I've heard at least... 15 times. <laughs> it's so funny because you're exactly right. Being with friends there, anything. And I'm like, oh man, hey, listen, I was, I was reading the Michelin guide. And they're like, nah, 
you know what you need to do is you know what you need to do is you know yeah. you need to go to, you need to head down to ralphie's all right this is yeah. what this place is gonna get you you know yeah. and then you need to see ted there when you come in and walk you just tell ted you know i gotta go over there and set you and teddy's gonna take care of you you know and it's like man and i've had some of the best meals in my life especially in pro ball where people always had people you know and you're and you're trying to dive a little bit below the radar when you're there because right there's some of that little you know fame thing and and so, you know, when you're out with, and, and I never was like, listen, like no one knew who I was. I was, you know, that was fine as a coach, but you know, when you're with players, it's a different thing. And you know, and it's, and you got to get used to the pace and it's, it's intriguing. So let's come back to your wife. I mean, New York city, you guys 20 years there. Have you been married to your wife now? How long for you and your wife? Put you on the we spot met, there, Ethan. <laughs> we met, well, we met right before my 30th birthday and we've been married it's going to be 16 years coming up That's in September. Awesome. Yeah, met, met, met in my the, local uh, bar. Met uh, in my you, local bar. I figured you met at the, you know, EAA, like, you know, Executive Assistance Anonymous. Like, you know, like, yeah, hi, I'm Ethan. Yeah. And, uh, I work for a tyrant. <laughs> you know, like, well, that's true. But <laughs> it, what's what's really, you know, and, and getting a little vulnerable is there's not many straight white male executive assistants out there across the country. And it's fair. For for a little while, you know, it's it's 98% women. And for, I'd say, the first third of my career, I was a little ashamed, honestly. You know, I had to, you know, overcome that and deal with it head on. But no, I mean, going back to my wife, we, we met at my local bar. It was called... I lived above Bull's Head Tavern, and so which is weird. Just yeah, and right. uh, first night I moved into that apartment, I, I showed my the bouncer my ID, and he told the bartenders, and I became good friends with all the bartenders and the sure. owners, and I'm still friends with them today. And yeah. they thought you were the owner there. with that name, right? Didn't they? Yeah, like, oh, yeah. He's probably yeah, one no. of the owners, man. Be cool. Yeah, to <laughs> yeah, no, but no. So it's really yeah, good. That's awesome. No. Listen, by the way, Ryan Reynolds made, you know, the executive assistant role cooler than hell, right? You know, with the proposal, all of a sudden, you can be absolutely a badass and, you know, be in this. I mean, did I mean, do you feel like, hey, that gave it some solace? And I mean, I love the movie, by the way, and, and I'm a big Ryan Reynolds fan. He's funny. So, I mean, what do you think? Because I, I appreciate what you're saying, because you're saying like nine, you know, and this is for anyone, by the way, right. who works in an industry, when you talk about women coming into trucking or oh, yeah. the shipping industry where I was at was, I mean, listen, it's like 7% are women and 98% of them are in the office, right? right? Working back office work. And so we're seeing it in tech where you just get the discrepancy of folks, right? And it's one of the big things I have, by the way, with equitable compensation, right? Because I'm like, hey, man, I don't know if you know or not, but the female models make way more than the male models. <laughs> like, you know, like there's a discrepancy there like that, you know, like, right. and I don't see like people banging on the door going, you know what, GQ ought to be paying me some freaking money because you know what <laughs> Giselle's making? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah you're damn right. I know what she's making, you know, right. because she's creating value, you know. And so what's it? So walk us through that a little bit, man, as as, as dealing with that in your early years of like, man, I, I have these special skill sets not to be like you know taken you know and i have you know i have a special set of skills and you can deliver this content and be a valuable resource and a huge contributor to a major company very quickly because of the skill set yet it's not standard for the way people look like you or whatever are in that role and man like it's interesting that people can't honor that yeah in terms of me specifically yeah and getting my start in entertainment, entertainment, the entertainment industry really leverages the assistant position as kind of the first role in a stepping stone kind of way. And so 
you have a lot of male assistants in entertainment who have their JD or MBA from Yale or Harvard or Princeton. And they're in those roles because they're paying their dues. They're reading scripts. They're trying to meet talent. They're trying to, you know, then level up from there. And what happened to me was I was in that kind of role. And then I decided to go more the advertising route because I wanted to scratch the creative itch by writing scripts and acting and directing. And then you turn around five years later and you say, oh, I'm an executive assistant now. Mm. And you know what does that mean? And what does that look like? And so you take that in combination with my wife, who was working for a, a financial institution, and one of their clients, a hedge fund CEO, poaches her to become his personal executive assistant. And two years later, she's making north of $300,000 a year, and I'm still making you know, 90 at an ad agency, but we're kind of doing the same thing. And yeah. so the discrepancy in pay was based on industry, but also it's it was a lot harder for me to try and get into one of those jobs specifically because I'm a male, which, you know, shoes on the other foot. And I knew that. And it's just interesting to think about and, and yeah. where we are. And then there, so there was a little bit of shame there. And, mm-hmm. you know, entertainment, it's kind of, they're sharp elbows. You yeah. know, you're not afraid to tell people what you need. And if they're not moving, you're not afraid to tell them to get going. And, you know, I had to adjust my thinking there and really understand that what I'm providing is a service. And where the magic happens is if you can take that service and rise to the level of hospitality and provide what you do in support and have someone really feel it as opposed to just having something done for them. And that's where we really focused pro assisting. It's a huge component of what we do. High touch hospitality is part of the reason why top level executive assistants can really make clearly into six figures and high six figures, depending on who they're partnered with and and what their role entails. So I want to dive in this a little bit because it's great. And, you know, the show Winners Find a Way is based on a quote, winners when shown data that they're losing, find a way to win. And so I want to take a little minute of a dive down into that shame circle, right? You get, you know, five, seven years into this and man, I mean, by the way, just $90,000 is a lot of money in New York city. That's just above the poverty line. I mean, right. 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 Like, I yeah. mean, in Rochester, Hey, life's pretty good. Right. At 90 grand right. a year, you know, yeah. very different in Manhattan. So it's just the cost of living, bro. This is the cost of everything. So Walk me through how you meet that head on, how you address that and move past that because you started your own business now. I mean, all these things. Tell me how you get through that moment where it's like, hey, my wife makes more than me. She's got a job doing the exact same things I'm doing, but I'm just maybe industry, you know, vertical, whatever, right? Right. And I was a high level assistant in the entertainment business, which is, hey, I can move and make things happen and I've got a voice and everybody's ready to listen. And in this space, I am a hospitable servant that is making things happen on the back. And 
stay quiet and get her done and make sure it's really good for everyone who's ready and preparedness is is of the utmost, right? Well, it's interesting. It, the timeline there is a little different, which I, I'll get into because I think it's important. But I was working in entertainment and then interviewed to assist a partner at an ad agency who went through 13 assistants in one year. And yeah. <laughs> he was super smart, super fast paced, and wasn't afraid to swear and yell. And they, meaning the human resource department, found it interesting that me as a male coming from the entertainment industry where that kind of behavior is the norm yeah. might be a good fit for Fred because of my thick skin, frankly. And I ended up taking that job. And the agency that I worked for was run by a very masculine, loud, brash male. And I was working for Fred, who was a partner at that agency. And that first year was hard. He was putting me through my paces. And I got a lot of sympathy from a lot of different people around the agency because they knew how hard Fred was to work for. Yep. But then after that year happened, he just gave in and trusted me implicitly and handed the reins over and became one of the best bosses I've ever had. And so that relationship was huge. Now, fast forward a little bit. He leaves the agency. I end up taking over and working for the chief operating officer, who's a woman. And by this time, that brash male CEO has handed over the reins of his agency to all women leadership, okay. which I think is awesome. Yeah. And this woman who was his chief operating officer, after a year and a half of being directly with her, she sat me down for a review and she said, you know, Ethan, you and I have the same problem. We suffer fools lightly. And your attitude and how you work with people can kind of scare off some of the newer employees and the younger generation because you're loud. You're not afraid to tell them to get their ass in gear. And, you know, we... Number one, I'm going to give you a raise. Number two, I don't want you going anywhere. But number three, I want you to think about that. And mm. I went home that night and and I'm a Sagittarius. I don't know if it's all Sagittarius, but I'm very sensitive. And I, I think on those kind of conversations deeply. And I had that conversation with my wife and we were talking about it. And I consciously tried to change and flip a switch by leaning into some experiences that I had when I was really young, working at my dad's restaurant and the idea of hospitality and thinking like, look, I'm here to serve. I'm here to help. I'm here to think outside of the box, take things off of people's plate, keep things from getting on people's plate. So why don't I lean into that? I had some difficult conversations with some people that I had run-ins with just to clear the air. And all of them to a T were just like, oh, no problem. Totally get it. Great. And really worked hard to, to have, make that mental change. And that really set, set me on a different path. And I'm, I'm grateful it did, you know, because now running this business and leveraging my college training at a specialty business school to finally to be able to leverage that and do what we do and actually be experts in what we do is, is rewarding. And so I'm, I, I never thought I'd get here, but here we are. That's awesome. I mean, do you feel like Fred was a good model for you? I mean, I think you had a lot to do with Fred settling in and saying, hey, I can trust this guy now. I mean, maybe his, you know, harshness was some level of, you know, indoctrination or, you know, if you can get past here and with me, 
then you've kind of earned my respect. I don't know. But I mean, you saw him change as a leader because all of a sudden that freed things for him. He didn't have to be the hard ass that probably started out. That was, that was relatively ineffective going through 13 assistants, right? I mean, were you inspired by that a little bit or not really? I don't think Fred changed. Oh, okay. (laughs) <laughs> no, Fred didn't change. It just didn't, it just wasn't directed to you. It was a tough. Yeah, no, it wasn't. It was like you know someone would screw up, and he always had a saying: "Go give them a Deutsch welcome," which is basically smack them upside the head and tell them to get their butt in gear. And what I did was be that buffer and and be able to to say that in a very politically correct and very more gentle way. But if Time was of the essence and he was breathing down my neck that raised my stress level. And that came out by not being afraid of telling someone to get their butt in gear and, you know, being very pointed in what saying what we needed and what needed to happen. And then when I tried to make, when I started to make that transition into thinking more about hospitality, having some self-awareness to feel that coming up in the moment acknowledging it, but then also being able to pivot and stop yourself and then communicate in a much more effective way. So I don't think Fred changed and and I don't think anybody wanted him to change. And it was more of a tough love kind of yeah. thing as opposed to just totally being a real jerk. And it was just him holding people to high standards and him being extremely intelligent and nobody could BS him, you know? Yeah. And if someone was trying to BS him, that'd probably piss him off the most. Yeah. Well, and I, and I see like you giving some tough love too there, by the way, even in the beginning before you adapted your communication strategy. I mean, part of that is as a buffer, like, hey, I'm giving you the Ethan, you know, tough love here, which is going to be a lot softer than the Fred tough love. <laughs> like, you know, right. when that tough love comes in, you know, not only are you going to get it from Fred, but now you're also running the risk of a guy who will fire you. Like he, he will, he is a guy, like if you don't produce, it's not going to go well for a guy who's got expectations like that. And you're not sitting in the hiring, firing seat. I take it. So you're like, this is going to be really good for you. You may not like the message, but I am looking out for you because it's coming if we don't get it right. Yeah. What's interesting is that after I transitioned to this, to supporting the chief operating officer, she did put me in charge as director of admin services of a team of 12 assistants, and we were supporting 60 executives. So hiring, firing, training, dealing with interpersonal relations, understanding yeah. the org chart, knowing which partners were more difficult to work with than others and time commitments, all of that. So my role did expand in addition to continuing to support her. So I do have experience with that as well. Well, and great, great navigational training for what you're doing now. I mean, like, come on. Yeah. 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 Well, and then when we moved to upstate New York, I ended up working for the, the the chief operating officer of the second largest employer in Rochester, which was one of the few seats in Rochester that is commensurate with our experience. And in addition to being his executive assistant, I was director of admin services for that organization. And there I was overseeing 80 assistants and we supported over 250 healthcare executives throughout the network. So that again, kind of, I mean, I could see that being in today's environment. I don't know how long ago that was, but I mean, I could see some major push because I work for a lot of women leaders. And what I love about, you know, 62% of the leadership clientele right now is women CEOs. So Mm -hmm. I love it. Like, because very open 
to strengths, weaknesses, lifelong learning, continuous improvement, check the ego at the door. Not that there's not ego, not that there's not, you know, confidence, not that there's not alpha, but right. you know, there is things going on and, and, but an open minded is to continuing helping others get coached, learning, get better. You can get better, right? Whatever seat you're in. And I see like, man, I would see a massive, I would think there'd be anarchy in the streets with 80 assistants, which you just said is 98% female. And of course the male got the job to run, you know, the, uh, the admin assistants. Like, was there a big push on that? You mean a push coming back from the assistants? Yeah. Well, there was, let me put it this way. That CEO came in and after a year, totally wiped out and adjusted and changed the whole executive assistant support structure for the C-suite. And I was coming in as part of that change. And he really wanted to lean into my previous experience of leading teams of assistants. Mm -hmm. And the thing with that organization is a nonprofit. And you had a lot of legacy assistants who'd been there 15, 20, 25 years. And the org charts were all over the place. You had some assistants supporting six or eight executives, and then you had a lot of one-on-one support structure as well. And so it was really out of whack. So it was up to me to come in and one, get to know everybody and not make them scared or hate me. And two, communicate the need to adjust the levels of the org chart to meet the needs of the organization. And then three, try and slowly raise the bar on what the expectations are in terms of the support we provide. So it was kind of that three-step process yeah. that happened over two years of all, me being there. Yeah, and all with the intent that we have a sustainable structure going forward and an org chart that could be repeatable and have some you know, uniformity across the workloads and things like that, which is, I, I can see that being a major struggle too, going, wait a minute, I'm I'm supporting eight and Greg over here has got one or Janie's got two. Like what? Right. How's this working? Like, you know, yeah. so I want to get four X then, you know what they're making. Right. Right. So right. I, I appreciate it. I mean, there's a lot of dynamics in, in the support world. And I, I want to ask you because help me understand the, the 29 hours. Why 29 hours? Because you know, we know there's 24 hours. What's the 29 hour work day? Well, the subtitle is how high performers leverage their EAs. And our book is really kind of a training manual for high performing entrepreneurs, C-suite executives, business owners, in terms of how to make sure they're leveraging the support that they have to the fullest potential to also help them brainstorm ways to offload some of the things they're doing that need to get done, but don't necessarily need to get done by them and give them back time. And now we put that under five performance multipliers. One is being a business partner. Two is being a chief of staff. Three is being project manager. Four being an assistant slash scheduler. And five being a personal assistant. And so if you're leveraging those properly, And to their fullest extent, with your support, hopefully we're giving you back five hours a day. It's a little play on Tim Ferriss's four-hour work week. And it's meant to emphasize that 
really the most valuable commodity that we have is time. Yeah. No, I love it. I, I just think it's it's so interesting to me where you're going with this because it's. I, I look forward to reading the book. I have not read the book yet, and I'm really looking forward to it because I think it's, you know, again, it, it's me using 10% of the capacity of people around me or things around me, you know, tools that are at our disposal. And you know, I had a great conversation a couple of weeks ago on the show, like Kating about no hiring the best. I mean, because the best like outperform everybody, like the best outperform others like three X, right? And this is where, you know, it's it's really hard to imagine because if you see like the, you know, the players at that top level, right? At the major league level. And then you're just on the street with, you know, another AAA player. Like you don't think any different. Like there's not that much of a difference. Like but right. it's a lot of differences going on, man, behind about the workload, the, the coachability, the level ability to adapt. I mean, there's just a lot of things that are just very small. They're fractional. But all of a sudden, you know, as we know in business, like little adjustments have massive contribution, right? Like, right. And so when you see that at that level where things make such a big difference, it's very interesting to watch how when you get that right person in the seat, man, things just on teams and they get going. So you're preaching to the choir. Yeah. Yeah. I think the other side of this is that one of the things that you did that you talk about, you know, when you look at knowing all the 60 executives and how they learn, how they manage, how do they want things to go? What's their ideal day? What is their, you know, key initiatives that they have to get done that they're responsible and own? Like knowing those things, if you're their assistant or on their team or anywhere inside that structure, I mean, that's critical to me for success on a team because people don't recognize like, hey, you know, when they told you to go to the interview and my job is to make you as my boss look the best you can be. There's a lot of truth to that, right? Because yeah. if you're making their jobs really easy, like you're an invaluable commodity to them. Yeah, I, I can't agree more. I do want to say that the book is also available in an audio format. It just came out a few weeks ago in audiobook. So you can listen to it instead of read it if you want to do that on the I appreciate the that. I appreciate that, um, Ethan. Yeah. Did you do the reading? I did not. I did not. What? We had, yeah, <laughs> again. Later. Yeah, no, I know. I did not. I'll just leave it at that. All right. But what you're talking about is the idea that it's small changes and a lot of it doesn't go back to being able to fill out a calendar invite or be able to manage an inbox or be able to put a deck together. It's mindset. It's understanding your role. It's understanding the objectives, the company the understanding the preferences and the desires of the principal. And, you know, we don't charge by the hour with pro assisting. We charge a flat retainer rate and we partner with assistants who could command six figures in major metropolitan areas. And we pass 80% of our retainers onto our assistants. So they're compensated appropriately. And one of the, probably the most important value in a great, principal executive assistant relationship is the legacy knowledge around business, personal preferences that builds up over time. And your executive assistant becomes just an extension of you because they're going to know that you've got your son's baseball game at four o'clock and that is not movable and you are going. Nobody else in the company knows that. 
They just know the calendar's blocked or (laughs) needs to. Exactly. And that information builds over time that relationship, knowing, liking, and trusting your assistant and your assistant knowing, liking, and trusting you. When you can reach that level, they'll walk in front of a bus for you, but also they're going to have the wherewithal to make sure your attention, your eyes and ears are going to the most important aspects at the most important times and everything else they're prioritizing in the back and they're either handling it or they're presenting that information to you when it's appropriate and when you have the mental bandwidth to deal with it. So it's communicating that value to prospects that come to us and consider us. Some business people get it and some don't. And that's fine because there's the internet has opened up a ton of options in terms of the kind of remote support you can get to help you and your business. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a great model. Like I said, it's a great coverage of the gap. So I love it. Let's talk quickly about, you know, as a kid, I mean, you're growing up in New York, do you see yourself like, you know what I'm going to do one day? I'm going to be this executive assistant and I'm going to start a business of all these executives. I mean, is this what you're dreaming about when you're 14 years old? Like walk me through where you saw yourself and how that pivot. I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. My dad has been an entrepreneur his whole life. And let me see, he has been a real estate agent, been a broker, been a home builder, owned a bar, owned a bowling alley, owned a restaurant, owned three trailer parks, had portions of a share in an Orange Julius and a Joanne's Nuthouse. So, and the restaurant was the big one for about 20 years and always talking about business. And, and my stepfather was an attorney, a personal injury attorney and owned his own firm. And that was a business and getting that sure. view too. So I've always had that, that entrepreneurial desire. I even started a business when I was a, a junior in high school, which you, we can get into if you want. But So I always had that desire. And then when I went off to Australia and I was at this conservative business school, but yet I had that creative itch, being a musician, really wanting to scratch that, really wanting to marry the creative aspect with business. And then that's what led me to New York. And when I started working on movies, really being interested in the writing process and the acting process and the the relationship between director and actor on set when you're shooting a scene and just started devouring books, started taking classes. And that took me in that direction. And then the assistant position when I was in New York City allowed me the time outside of business hours to kind of chase those dreams. Mm-hmm. And I got close with my graphic novel and and working with a producer on that screenplay. And we just couldn't get it over the finish line. And so when we moved to upstate New York, out of the city, our second son was born. It was always an interest in terms of a business. The thing is, is that Pro Assisting actually started in 2009 as a training company. We started it and we created e-learning modules, my wife and I, basically, you know, quick and dirty, how to be the best assistant you can be when you come out of college. Let's say you have a history degree, but you're really interested in technology. Well, get a job in tech, working as an assistant, prove yourself from within, get promoted from within. So Pro Assisting started there. And then in 2017, 2018 is when we, we decided to pivot and, and do what we do now. It's very cool. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, what most people don't know about you is that you did write a digital novel, right? Like, uh, published by, what was it, World War, your, your, it was called World War Hack? World War Hack and published, published by, Viper, by Viper Viper Comics. And it was an exciting time. You know, it, it 
writing and creating that and, and working with the illustrator and then taking that IP and converting it into a screenplay. And I was working with a known producer for about a year and a half, trying to get that script right. And we just couldn't get it to the point where we both felt like, yeah, this is what we want to put our names to and go out with. What's interesting is that I still have a story in me. I still have that that one idea that I really want to sink my mm. teeth into. And so, you know, 10 years it's not, from it's now- It's not anime, right? Like you don't want to go to the- No, 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 no. So 10 years from now, if we can make pro, pro assisting as successful as we want to make it, you know, I'll be able to shift my focus and that'll, that'll be my retirement. But, you know, it's just, it's just a big dream out there that you're, you're always running for and, you know, winners find a way. Love it. That's perfect. Let's end with this, Ethan, you know, if for people that are out there, what's, what's been successful for you when challenging times, challenging boss, like what's been successful for you? What grounds you? What kind of gets you back on track when things aren't going the right direction? And you, you do see the data that, Hey, I'm, I'm losing here. I need to do something different. What's kind of put you into the right mindset, the right frame, and then your way to take action. I'm just so lucky to have my wife where she understands, she knows what we do and what our careers are. And she's really great at resetting me when problems arise or challenges are presented. And that communication has happened over a long period of time. And since we've started this business, it's only gotten so much better. So I'm really, really fortunate to have that person that who I can communicate with unconditionally and she can do the same and trying to keep the ego at bay a little bit and open up and being a little vulnerable and, and going deep. So I think that's kind of my secret weapon. But what's been interesting about starting a business from a W-2 role, you always think the grass is greener on the other side. Yeah. And yeah. even when things are going perfect with the business, I'm still stressed. There's always a feeling that, well, this could go away at any point, even though we're we're at the five-year mark, which so many businesses don't get to. So managing that is is a constant battle and also trying to find ways where we can grow and expand and, and do other things beyond what we're currently doing. And so I don't know if that fully answers the question. I think but- it's good. I mean, I think it's good to have, you know, someone in your life that levels you and can kind of get you back into the focus. I mean, like you said, talking through it is a huge deal. And it's probably the last thing, you know, that, that people want to do when, when it sucks, right? Like, I don't want to come to you and go, Hey, Ethan, man, we're down by 25. And I think our whole team sucks. Like, I, I really don't want to talk about it. Like, cause I'm thinking like, man, this is not going the right direction. And the more we right. talk about it, it's not like talking is necessarily going to change it, but talking about it gets us hope. It gets us, action it gets us a plan you know that we can execute on to to change some things and so i think it's really critical and we got to start somewhere right yeah it takes courage to acknowledge the elephant in the room and it, it does and if you have someone whether it's a parent a best friend a partner who you can acknowledge that elephant in the room on that given day and it changes you just being able to express that is a release valve for the pressure and then it clears the mind to then get to the point where what's the plan? Mm. You know, at least that's what I find. Big. 
Well, that's big. I love it for everybody out there. Yeah, I'm taking that to heart, right? Well, listen, for everyone who's listening, thank you, Ethan Bull. So excited about 29-hour workday, reading it, listening to it, however I'm going to get there. I am going to definitely check this out. I, I need an absolute handler, man. I mean, when I've had it in my life, I've noticed my life is tons better. And, you know, the life of an entrepreneur is fast. I mean, it's fast. It's hard and it's hard to be thorough and follow up and people trying to do it on their own don't do well. And, uh, and I've been there and feel like I'm there now. And uh, so appreciate you coming on. Tell them again where they can find you, Ethan. You can find me at proassisting.com as well as on LinkedIn under Ethan Bull. And uh, there's a lot of information on our website. I'm very active on LinkedIn. Happy to talk with anyone, even if we're not the right fit. Definitely with our knowledge of the overall support space, we'll make sure you get the right support for you because we're in this for long-term relationships. We're not in this to try and sell you. We want to be able to say, hey, you know, our service is month to month. If we're not providing value, we want you to get the value somewhere else where it works for you. Because if we do right by you and we're not the right fit, you're still going to think of us when someone comes across your plate that would be the right fit and that needs what we do. And our whole goal is to make the support that you are talking about accessible. And you don't have to hire a full-time employee to get the great support. And it doesn't have to be a drag on your balance sheet or bringing on another W-2. You can get targeted daily support for for a reasonable amount and, and really form that partnership and have that true partnership. Yeah, I think it's a huge relationship. And for folks who have been in there, my friends, especially myself as well, going back to my history, I mean, some of the closest relationships and friendships established in that working relationship. And we do spend a lot of time at work, right? So it's a huge deal. And, uh, you know, I've heard a lot of, I just had talked to a good friend who talked about her her work husband, right? Which is her EA. And like, yeah, I mean, that was critical person in her life to balance things and what a difference it made. So for everybody out there, so thankful you could join us today on the Winners Find a Way show, myself for Ethan Bull. Thank you every Friday, 1230 p.m. Eastern, 930 a.m. Pacific. Check us out live on LinkedIn Live, YouTube, on the Leadershipity channel, Facebook Live, and you follow the podcast on all your major podcasting networks. So until then, we'll see you next time. Winners find a way. Rebellious Infusions are organic flavored water enhancers. Rebellious provides clean, focused energy in liquid packets. Just tear the corner of the packet and pour 16 ounces of water. Rebellious Infusions have no sugar, no calories, and up to 300 milligrams of antioxidants and loads of L-thionine for brain health. Rethink your drink at drinkrebellious.com. For 10% off your next purchase, use the code 999. Do you want to be our next guest? Or do you have inspiring stories to share? Or do you love to inspire, support, and empower thought leaders? Feel free to send Trent a direct message on Instagram or Facebook at Leadershipity.